0: Hey everyone, hope it's been a good day. Glad to be closing it now with you. Uh, If you want to pull out your Bible, turn to the Gospel of John. Turn to the very last chapter in the Gospel of John. John 21 verse 15. Having a minor panic now that I'm standing up here. This isn't like one of the passages that Paul Miller just like crushed today, is it? No, no. Okay, good. So that was a little nerve-wracking, you know. <laughs> um, I'm heading home after tonight's session uh, driving back to Northern Virginia and I just want to thank you all for the chance to be with you guys this week. I was really looking forward to this week and if I'd known what this group was like I'd have looked forward to it even more. Uh, it's been really, really good to be with you guys, make new friends and share experiences. Teach each other about Jesus. It's one of the beautiful things about fellowship, right? That um, you know things about Jesus, you've experienced him show up in your life in ways that I haven't experienced and so when I talk with you and hear about those that's a great encouragement and, and hopefully I've experienced jesus in some ways that you've haven't learned yet and all together we're kind of throwing in and celebrating him and and teaching each other more more about his grace and his goodness toward us and just uh it's it's encouraging to reflect on christ we're going to close tonight by looking at his uh question to peter or really his three questions to peter in john 15, uh, John 21, verses 15 through 19. As we get there, we're, you know, we're in the end of the Gospel of John. Do you remember um, the, the last movie you saw that had uh, a credit cookie in it? You know what that is? Yeah? Um, some nods, some shaking of the head. Most of us know, just might not be familiar necessarily with the term, but it's a, a movie that ends and the credits roll, and then once the credits roll, there's one more scene right? Uh, very common in the Marvel movies, okay, in the Avengers, right? There's always this credit cookie at the end, kind of tease up the next movie. Um, also in Pirates of the Caribbean, as you say, <coughs> Caribbean, as I say, um, one of the Harry Potter movies. Um, also in Napoleon Dynamite, Right. It appears this 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 thing, this credit cookie, appears in all kinds of movies. It's like an unexpected development, a very twist at the end that makes you reinterpret what's happened before, or make you long for the next installment. Well, as we get to the the Gospel of John, it's important for us to understand that in chapter twenty-one we find ourselves in the middle of a of a credit cookie. Uh, the gospel has ended. The credits have rolled, and then we get one more scene. The story seems to end in chapter 20. In fact, if you just, would you flick over a page or scroll down in your phone uh, to see the very end of chapter 20? Chapter 20 seems like the logical place to end the Gospel of John. Looks what happens. First of all, Jesus rises from the dead, right? And I love it. I, got, I don't even want us just to gloss over that summary fashion. Don't you love that Jesus rises from the dead? What? What an ending to this book, you know? I love it. Jesus does all these amazing things, and he dies this beautiful death, and then he's like, not done yet, right? Rises again, conquers death, defeats the grave, crushes Satan, gives us life, like, come on, I love it, right? The resurrection, that happens, great place to end the book. Then though, we haven't quite got there, because look, we have this interaction with Thomas. Thomas comes to faith, right? In light of the resurrection, even doubting people like us can have saving faith in Jesus. Showing kindness to uh, the least of these—that's what Christ does. But then look at verse thirty and thirty-one. Isn't shouldn't this be the end of the book, right? In fact, does does your um, does your Bible insert a header over over that little bit? The purpose of this book. Like surely this is the conclusion of the book, right? John tells us the purpose of the book, and don't you love it? Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. Oh, I'd love to! I can't wait to find out what they were. Yeah, they'll be great to hear about all the other stuff Jesus did. But These things are written, he says, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Mic drop. End of the gospel. Credits roll. Surely we're on now to the facts. Right? Except no. We get... This sort of surprise scene at the end of the Gospel. When this book should be done, we get one more scene, an epilogue of sorts in chapter 21. And one of the beautiful things chapter 21 does is tie up a loose thread that has weaved its way throughout the Gospel concerning the life of Peter, concerning the life of the most forthright and failing of all. The disciples. Peter, who had so much hope and promise and yet let Jesus so miserably down. So let's read verses 15 through 19 of this credit cookie and see what Jesus has to say to us. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. Jesus said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself. And walk wherever you wanted but when you are old you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God and after saying this he said to him follow me father I pray that as we spend just a few moments in your word together just now we would experience you that our hearts and minds would be attentive to the voice of your spirit who brings light and life to our dull slow understanding that we might really be able to perceive and understand uh, your word which teaches us about your love and its implications for our lives. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen you love me. I want to see two things in this passage. First of all, Jesus gives us an unmasking diagnosis. And then secondly, Jesus gives us a beautiful commission. Unmasking diagnosis, beautiful commission. Let's look first at how Jesus gives us an unmasking diagnosis. Can we imagine the scene in our minds as we arrive in verse 15? They've just finished up breakfast, which to me, like (laughs) <laughs> There's so many points in this text that we could just stop and like preach the whole sermon on. Isn't it this a beautiful thing? Peter has betrayed Jesus. He has denied Jesus. He has let Jesus down. All of the disciples have scattered and run. They've fled. They've proved themselves both, in a sense, cruel and definitely cowardly. And what's Jesus' response? How does Jesus roll into town to meet with these people who have done him so bad? Well, he rolls in with bagels. Right, (laughs) he rolls into making breakfast. Right, they've all been out fishing. He's been like, he's like set up a fire. He's cooked some fish. Like he, he, he cooks them breakfast. I just, who is this guy? Who is this Jesus? And again, can we just camp on how that informs our interactions with, with others, our interactions with uh, the challenging people in our life, the challenging people in our churches, the challenging students in our in our ministry? How Jesus just shows grace, 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 grace. Sin against him, grace. Deny him, grace. Prove yourself a cruel coward grace, he makes you breakfast. So here they are, just finished up breakfast, amazing in itself. They've just finished up the meal when Jesus starts a conversation with Peter. Peter, my favorite of the disciples, because he's the dude who like, he just like speaks without thinking, right? Um, And I love it because he's like, spectacularly right or spectacularly wrong and you suspect that he himself doesn't know which one he's about to be so he's the one who says the great confession of Christ Right? And you read the Gospels, right? especially Mark. It's like the, the, the high point where we've been working through uh, this Jesus character and who he is and the things that he does. And then we reach this amazing point where suddenly who Christ is becomes clear to the readers as, as Peter confesses, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. This amazing uh, Christological confession that has been so formative to, to the history of, of our faith. Does these amazing things but on the other hand he also he sins big And as we arrive in chapter 21 we're just not only on the heels of the resurrection but also of the crucifixion and right before the crucifixion Peter has denied Christ three times he's turned his back on the one he said he would never turn his back on and can we just imagine how this scene uh, on the beach would have pressed into the wound of, of Peter's failure Four, four details we get in our text that would just show us how um, Peter would have been particularly aware of his failure in this moment. First of all, we know from verse nine. Look at verse nine. That this scene takes place around a charcoal fire. Um, Michael, is it you were talking about like smelling the text? Yes. Right. Um, where does that come from? What is supposed to story here? Well, from like oh I mean, Robert Rose, one of the ones. people telling me just to slow down and when you're reading through gospel accounts or parables like. Try to take it all in, like can you smell the room, can yeah. you see everything, the taste it and all that kind of stuff. That's really it's good. It's one of the ones where smells have been put in place, but what does that breakfast smell like? How right. Like fish I'm always like Pew. Okay, that's totally legit, right? So let's go to verse 9 though. No fish yet, just a charcoal fire. Okay, just, just smell it. You know that smell? right? Being around a fire. Being around a fire is so great too. Isn't fire just the best heat ever? Like it warms your bones without, you know, drying you out, right? Just like this. And I love it that for all our technology, you can't beat just like an old school fire. But get the smell with me too. The smell of a charcoal fire. Why is this detail important? Well, a charcoal fire is only mentioned one other time in John's Gospel. Do you remember where? Mm-hmm. Chapter 18 Peter is warming himself around a charcoal fire when he denies Jesus. And so here we have I don't think it's a stretch to say that you know the way you know the way the sense of smell triggers memories. Right? you ever ever have that experience? It's very connected to our memory, and I don't think it's stretched to say that this aroma would have reminded Peter of his his failure. This unusual detail has been brought out to our attention that we might realise that as he stands here, Peter, through his very senses, is being brought back to the scene of his crime. Being aware of his failure and brokenness. Second detail, though, look at verse fifteen, where Jesus asks, "Do you love me more than these?" Who are, who are the these in this question? Well, it's the other disciples. Jesus is saying to Peter, "Hey, Peter, do you love me more than more than everybody else? Because do you remember how Peter had boasted after the Last Supper? Hey, even if all of these jokers leave you, I'm never going to leave you." I, this, this ragtag group of disciples, I don't know about them, right? And I kind of doubt their courage and I doubt their conviction, but you need to never doubt mine. I don't care what everyone else does, I will always be true to you. Or, as the text actually says, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Now Jesus says, hey, smell the fire. You so sure about that you love me more than these? Peter is aware of his failure, aware of his brokenness. Now look at verse... Uh, third thing that we see that presses into this. Verses 15, 16, and 17. Look how Jesus addresses Peter three times. See what he calls him? Look down there. Start of each verse. Simon, son of John. Isn't this interesting? Jesus has renamed him, right? he's re- He's renamed him Peter... The, the rock. That's the name that Jesus has, has given to, to Peter. But in this passage, he's now no longer calling him the rock. He is calling him Simon, son of John. He has not behaved like the rock. Peter knows he's acted more like shifting sand. Again, he's aware of his failures, he's aware of his brokenness. And then the fourth detail, though, that presses in on his failure, um, the content of these questions. Verse 15. Do you love me, verse sixteen? Do you love me, verse seventeen? Do you love me? Peter is asked this question three times by Christ. Now, more more on this in a moment. Okay, we're going to get we get more more on this this question in a moment. But we can understand right why verse seventeen says that Peter was grieved. Just just think about that. In any relationship that's that's meaningful and worthwhile to you, if they ask you, you know, do you love me, and you said yeah and they said do you love me you'd be like yes and they ask you a third time like really (laughs) do do you love me we understand why why Peter is grieved in this this moment Peter here on the beach he has the smells and the sounds and the experiences that drive home to him his own brokenness his own feelings his own sin now what's Jesus up to here why doesn't Jesus, like, put an arm around him and be like, you know, you had a bad day, but forget about it, you know, like, not your proudest moment, but let's, let's all drive on. Why doesn't Jesus do that? It's an unmasking diagnosis. Jesus is going deeper because Jesus, he never takes sin lightly. He never takes sin lightly. Why? Because he's the great physician because he's the great physician so a good doctor conducts a thorough medical exam and lets you know if your condition is worse than you realize a good doctor doesn't see you like got a broken leg and say i'll oh, just walk it off you know get a cancer diagnosis and just be like i'll oh, well, just take some aspirin it's not that big a deal you just had a bad day let's move on no, Jesus is going, he's going deeper. He's going underneath just the, the action of Peter's betrayal so that Peter will experience the depth of it, that he might be aware of his brokenness, receiving this diagnosis in order that Christ might make him well again. That's what's what about. What about to happen. <laughs> but let's not get there too quick. Because Jesus, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't take our sin lightly either. He doesn't take our, our brokenness slightly either. He knew everything about Peter and he knows everything about us. And so he knows, like he knows what your sin patterns are, what your sin tendencies are. Whether it's outbursts of anger, whether it's secret lust, whether it's continual comparison leading to pride or insecurity uh whether there's something selfish in your heart or controlling in your heart like he knows all the way in which you're edging him off the throne and trying to put yourself in his place and he never minimizes our sin because he loves us he calls us to take our sin seriously bringing it to him that it might be put to death i really want to be oh man um I really want us to be a generation of leaders who know the gospel and are holy because of it. There's this pastor, you guys know Joe Novenson? Um, he's a pastor, um, or, or was a senior pastor at a church called Out Mountain Presbyterian Church in Chattanooga, right? Um, and uh, you meet Joe Novenson and you're like, you talk to him for like four seconds and you're like, this guy knows Jesus, right? Like, there's, he kind of has this humble holiness about him that I find really compelling. Whereas me, like, I had I had a member introduce me to their friend as a man of God, and I was like, <laughs> that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. You know what I mean? Just like, that, that is not a fitting description of me. That doesn't fit, that doesn't feel right. You know? Like, and I, I want us to be, a, I, I want to be, and I want us to be, like a generation of leaders in the church whose experience of Jesus is making us more like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. I want us to be like Jesus. I don't want us to take our sin lightly. I don't want us to say, well, grace covers all sin. And yeah, it does, absolutely does. But again, it's kind of been a theme of the week, an unintentional theme of the week, but how, yeah, we're not condemned, so we leave our life of sin. We are freed, so we're able to be healed. We take our sins seriously in order that we might become more like Jesus. But, you know, the greatest, the greatest gift we can give to our people is an embodiment of the gospel life. It's an embodiment of Jesus. It's to be Jesus in their presence, and I just I find that so convicting because do you know what? Like, see the tasks of ministry, right? You can actually kind of learn them and get good at them. You can learn how to preach a sermon and you can learn how to teach a lesson and you can learn how to do one-on-one and you can get particularly good at the conversations you have a lot of Right? So, you know, I did uh, young adult ministry for seven years. I uh, freaking rock the should I get married to this person conversation, right? I absolutely crush that conversation. If you're wondering about marrying someone, you should come and talk to me afterwards, right? Because I have had that conversation a thousand times, and you, do you know what I mean? That's just like a sweet spot. And you'll all have the same thing with students, right? There'll be conversations you've had a lot, conversations you feel equipped for, other ones you don't feel equipped for, right? But, you know, come here, get some training, get some help. Like, we can learn the tools of ministry and we can learn to like give our people product and what they need is Jesus and what they need most is Jesus in us for us to give our people the gift of an embodied gospel life for us to give them Jesus through us we don't take our sins seriously we pursue holiness it's a gift of grace to us It's why Jesus gives us this unmasking diagnosis, calling us to take our sin seriously. Secondly, though, the best doctors don't just diagnose, they also offer a cure. (laughs) And so it is with the great physician. After giving us this unmasking diagnosis, Jesus gives us a beautiful commission. Look at it with me. He doesn't just diagnose Peter, he heals Peter. How? In the verses that we've already referenced. 15, 16, 17. Three times Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? Three times Peter says, yes Lord, I love you. And then three times Jesus commissions Peter. So look at verse 15. Okay, do you love me? Yes, well then feed my lambs. Do you love me? Yes. Okay, well then tend my sheep. Do you love me? Yes. Verse 18. Well then feed my sheep. Jesus treats Peter's threefold denial with a threefold recommissioning. As Peter had three times denied Christ, let betrayal come from his lips, so jesus now calls him three times to let love come from his lips and three times commissions him for usefulness in christ's kingdom and it's just so good i mean are any of you young enough that your parents put you in time out See, I was raised in the, you're getting a good hiding generation, okay? Like, time wasn't a thing, <laughs> like, when I was a kid, right? But, like, you know, I don't know if you, you know, ever put timeout. Or maybe a coach, right, who put you on the bench, right? Um, isn't it beautiful that Jesus doesn't say to Peter, you've really screwed this up. Time out. You're on the bench. You have missed your chance to make a difference in this life. So I'll save you, but only by the skin of your teeth, and you certainly aren't going to be useful for me until then. No, Jesus doesn't say that. He says, I'm not done with you yet. I'm recommissioning you for usefulness again. Yes, you made an absolute mess, and your sin is grievous, but with this breakfast, eat some grace and get back in the game. Get back in the game. Tom Terrence loves to say, God is the God of the first chance, the second chance, and many more. Isn't that good news? (laughs) He's the God of the first chance, the second chance, and many, many more. Peter has made shipwreck of his life. He's made a mess of his faith in a way that is deep and grievous. And yet, Jesus recommissions him for usefulness once more because that's how grace works. And of course, he does the same with us, right? He forgives us and he recommissions us. He puts us back in the game to make a difference for him. Such a beautiful lesson that, I, just in my own story, I, I had a huge amount of angst about my calling to ministry. Right? I don't know if any of you guys kind of struggle with that too. Uh, like, should I, should I be in ministry? And I think I had angst for... Like, a, sort of two categories. The first category was um, just as a young adult, it's like normal to have angst about what you're going to do with your life. You know what I mean, just that kind of generic young adult angst, right? The second reason, though, I had a huge amount of angst about my call to ministry is that I just didn't think people like me went into ministry, right? Um, part of that is coming out of the st- my, my own story where I, you know, just recently. Um, I share with you, we have a, a, a girl, like a freshman in college. Okay, so we were, we were 18, 19, my wife and I dating at the time when we get pregnant with our oldest. So we got married in June, had a baby in August. Um, quickly got involved in the church, had a passion for ministry, and kind of felt this call into ministry, but didn't really feel like people like me went into ministry. Like, do you know ministers? You know they're not really like you, <laughs> you know? Like, the kind of holy people over there. And they pray all the time, and they wake up, and they Facebook something from Isaiah. (laughs) You know? You're like, I ain't read Isaiah! You know? (laughs) I I just felt like my brokenness disqualified me from ministry. And then I came to understand, through, actually, the discipleship of Jeff Elliott, right? John Perrett and I were pastored by this guy for a long time, that... Um, there are some qualifications for, for ministry and, and the, 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 the fruit of the gospel in you that starts to manifest itself in a life that looks like 1 Timothy 3 or Titus chapter 1, but the prerequisite to that kind of life isn't some kind of innate holiness, but is a deep awareness of your own brokenness and how Christ has met you in that place. We spoke about this on the first night. A deep awareness of your brokenness and how Christ has met you in that Place. I just wonder, is that is that what we're relying on? Is that what you're relying on in your ministry? Is it a deep awareness of just the, the disaster you've made of your life and yet the beauty of Christ to, to love you and make you new? And from the overflow of that kind of heart, you're able to share that kind of grace with others. This beautiful commission of being put back in the game is that what you're relying on, or are you relying on your, exp- your like your experience. Hey, I've dealt with students a long time. I know how to deal with students. Nothing new under the sun. Different manifestations of the same old problems. I kind of know how to deal with this. Or maybe you're dealing, you're, you're you're relying on and resting upon just your gifts. Like there's so many gifted people in this room. Who are just able to teach, and able to connect with students. I'm just able to do a good job and parents love you and your boss thinks you're great right and that's what you're relying on or maybe you're relying on your intellect this is like the reformed problem I do not know what to do so I will read another book right it is the solution to all problems (laughs) there is yet to be a problem that cannot be solved by reading more I will figure it out I will sort it out um yeah What are you relying on in ministry? Are you relying on something that's in yourself? Or have you um, just abandoned yourself to Jesus? Just abandon yourself to Jesus. To say, Jesus, oh man, not only do I not have what it takes, but if you don't keep me near... I'll, I'll I'll burn this place down. You know? Ministry makes you holy or hypocrite. If you don't keep me near, I know which way I'm going. If you're not a work in and through my life Lord I I don't want to think about the consequences abandon ourselves to Jesus walk humbly before him as a broken mess and then minister with great confidence from a place of grace I love I love this about Jesus I love that he makes us both simultaneously um, humble before him and completely fearless before others uh grace makes you gentle and strong right the fruit of a gospel focused life the fruit of responding to this beautiful commission abandoning ourselves to jesus walking humbly before him ministering with confidence from his grace he gives us a diagnosis in order that we might be healed in order that we might hear this commission and it's exciting right it's exciting because yeah. The story of our lives isn't written yet. The credits haven't rolled. And so, there's chance for us. There's time for us to enjoy this journey with Jesus, ministering to others as this story unfolds. Let's pray together. Do you love me? Jesus, when we're honest, um, we go back and forth. We go up and down. We're hot, and then we're cold. And yet throughout, Lord, you always love us, that your affection for us is steadfast, that it is etched in a covenant, that you uh, do not waver and do not flinch from setting your affection upon us, your children, and equipping us in this life. So, Father, we confess that our, our hearts are prone to wonder. And we confess, Lord, that things are, are worse than they appear. That all of us look better on the outside than we actually are on the inside. And we pray that we would take that diagnosis seriously, Lord, not so that we could wallow in guilt or shame or doubt, but so that we might experience the healing of grace and the beautiful commission that you've placed upon our lives to come and respond to the grace of the gospel by abandoning ourselves to you. Walk with us, Lord, and make it so, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.